Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April King, and I am the Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We would also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. So over the years, I, and I'm guessing likely most of you, have asked one of the hardest questions there is, all boiled down to one word, why? Why is it that evil people seem to prosper, but the good people, all these bad things happen to them? Why? Why is it that I work hard at work and I'm honest and my colleague over there who's lazy and cheating, that person gets promoted? Why? Why is it that the person who gets in all sorts of bad stuff lives to an old age, but a great Christian dies young? Why? I prayed and prayed to find a spouse, and after all these years, I still haven't found them. Why? How come I've got these headaches that don't go away? Or how come I'm battling with depression? Or how come someone I love is going through this? And God, it seems like you could do something about it, but you don't. Why? I planned on having children. I've prayed to you over and over to give me a child, but it just isn't happening. Why? There are times when even the most faithful Christian looks to the heavens and cries out to God, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? It's a question that's been asked over the centuries. That's the question that Job raised. Why, God? Why am I suffering the way that I am? It's the question the apostles had when they came to Jesus and they wanted to know, why was this man born blind? Why? We even hear Jesus ask this question as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? And it's the question that Habakkuk raises. Habakkuk has a lot to say about the fact that things in life don't seem to be going the way that we think they ought to be going. Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets, but the term minor has nothing to do with the importance of his message, but rather its length. Because while he is a minor prophet, there is nothing minor about his message. He writes about a topic that's important to all of us. And if you have ever had any questions for God, this is the book for you. But before we get into the message in chapter one, I want to give you some background to this book. Since being in seminary and because I'm a bit of a nerd, I like to know the background of the Bible books I am reading and studying. So I'll share with you what I've learned about the book of Habakkuk. The name Habakkuk is a rather unusual Hebrew name, which can either mean one who wrestles or one who embraces. And either meaning would be appropriate for Habakkuk because he's going to spend the first two chapters wrestling with his questions. But then at the very end, he chooses to embrace and hold tightly to God, regardless of what's happening around him. We don't know a lot about Habakkuk. We don't find him mentioned in any other books of the Bible. We don't know anything about his family or where he was from. We do know, however, when Habakkuk lived. 
We know that Babylonia was currently the world power, but the Babylonians had not yet invaded Judah, which means that Habakkuk probably did his preaching around 600 BC, during the last days of the nation of Judah. This was a time that was very corrupt. There was violence in the land. There was a lot of ungodliness. And in fact, you could say it was a lot like the world we live in today. There were bad people doing bad things to good people, and even the good people weren't all that good. God sent prophets like Jeremiah to Judah, trying to get them to repent. But the book of Habakkuk is different from all the other prophets in one very important way. All the other prophets carried God's message to the people. Obadiah preached to the people, Nahum preached to the people. But Habakkuk carried his message to God. In fact, Habakkuk actually begins with a complaint. Habakkuk goes to God because he's having trouble understanding why God does the things that he does in this world, or in this case, why he sometimes doesn't seem to do anything at all. Habakkuk looked around at the nation of Judah, and he saw these, all these things that the other prophets spoke against. And he knew that his fellow Jews had devoted a hard heart because despite God's threats, things really hadn't changed over the past several hundred years. So Habakkuk goes to God and he wants to know why God hasn't done anything to punish his people. How long is he going to let things continue like this before he actually does something about it? As I read through the first chapter of Habakkuk this morning, I'll be reading from the NIV translation. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk has several problems with God. The first one is this. He says, God, basically you don't seem to care. You're letting all these things go on in the world that aren't right and it just doesn't seem like you even care. His second complaint is this, God, why won't you fix this? You aren't doing anything about it, even though you could. Now Habakkuk has enough respect to God, for God to say, God, I know you could do something if you wanted to. You're all powerful. I believe you have the ability. You could change everything if you wanted to, but I don't understand why you won't. And number three, God, why are you unfair? What you're doing isn't right. In other words, Habakkuk was saying, God, if I were in your shoes, if I were God, I would do things differently. Let's be honest for a moment. How many of you have ever thought something like that? How many of you have ever thought or said, God, I don't like the way you're doing this? Which, when you get right down to it, is a pretty arrogant thing to say. If I were God, I could do a much better job of being God than God is doing. Part of the problem is our limited perspective. God is up here and he sees everything. He sees how what happens over here affects what happens over here. Meanwhile, we're stuck in just a tiny piece of this big picture. And all we can see is what's happening around us. As so, from, for, from our perspective, what God is doing can be confusing at times. And you see this so often in the Psalms. 
Approximately one-third of the Psalms are composed of people crying out to God. What is going on here? Why are these things happening? God, why aren't you doing anything? So here we've got Habakkuk who is struggling with his faith because he looked around and he saw men who were flagrantly violating God's laws and distorting justice on every level without any fear of divine intervention. It just seemed to be a mockery of God, as if people were saying, well, what's God gonna do about it? He, does, he hasn't done anything to anybody else. We're not worried one bit. And that just didn't seem to sit right with Habakkuk, and we can understand his concern. Because we read in the scriptures about the power of God and how God accomplishes his purposes in this world. And when we look around at all the wickedness and injustice, and there are times when it just seems like God isn't doing anything. So Habakkuk says to God, how long are you going to let this go on? How long before you punish these people the way they need to be punished? He starts with this question, Lord, how long must I ask for help and you ignore me? As most of you know, my personal life the past couple months has been awfully painful and heartbreaking. Writing is how I am able to express what my heart is saying and feeling when my lips are not always able to speak. So I want to share with you a journal entry I wrote the other month because it relates well to what I am talking about today in the first chapter of Habakkuk. Today I feel lonely, even if I am not alone. Today I feel deprived and dissatisfied and frustrated. I just want to curl up in a ball in the corner and cry until I feel better. I want to scream for help for someone to rescue me from these feelings of hopelessness. Just for today, I was hoping that God would show up and sit me down gently and just talk to me like friends do. Just for today, I wish he would come down to my level because I don't have the capacity to go up to his and he would just talk to me and explain the scars in my heart and the broken heart I am trying to hold together. Just for today, I was hoping that it would be be special and that he would show up just for me, his daughter. I love the Bible, but for just for today, I want him to speak directly to me because I feel like I am on the verge of falling apart. Is that presumptuous? I am tired of praying for the same things over and over and over again and not making any progress. Can anybody here relate to that? There are times when we look at how things are in our lives and we cry out to God, why don't you do something about it? How long can you let this go on? How long must I ask for help and you ignore me? We begin to question God's apparent inactivity. Where is God when we need him? Godly parents pray for their children who were raised in the church, went to Sunday school, know the Bible, but when they left home, they left it all behind. For many years, they have prayed for them to return. God, where are you? A wife prays for her husband who left the marriage. He seems utterly unreachable, and the marriage is swiftly headed for its ending. God, where are you? A husband prays for his wife who has cancer. She has fought this for many years and it keeps coming back. God, where are you? And so we cry out with the psalmist, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? 
And it's just not our own personal lives. We look around at the world and we watch the news and we see the injustices and we have the same question. God, where are you? Why don't you do something about this? So God gives Habakkuk an answer, but God tells him in advance that he's not going to like the answer. God said, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. When we are trying to comfort someone who is going through something tough, we love to pull out this verse out all on itself and talk about how God is going to do some amazing things in your life. I will do something in your lifetime that you won't believe. Trust God, something wonderful is coming. And that may be well true, but it's not what God is saying here. God says to Habakkuk, I am raising up the Babylonians, those ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. God tells Habakkuk, I am well aware of how wicked the Jews are, and I have my plans to take care of things. If I told you what I'm going to do, you won't believe it, but I'll tell you anyway. I'm going to bring the Babylonian armies, and they will be my rod of judgment against Judah. That was God's response to Judah's sins. And God was right. Habakkuk couldn't believe it, because he knew about the Babylonians. Everyone knew about the Babylonians. They were the most hated and the most feared nation on the face of the earth under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar. Their armies plundered the nations around them. They were cruel and vicious. If they wanted a city, they took a city. If they wanted a nation, they took a nation. And if a conquered city wasn't obedient enough, the Babylonians might put, up, put a pile of skulls in the city to serve as a warning not to rebel against them. They poked out the eyes of conquered kings and marched the rulers off in chains sometimes with hooks through their jaws. The point is, these were nasty people, and God knew how bad they were. When God decided to punish Judah, he picked the meanest nation there was to do the job for him. Now Habakkuk knew that evil needed to be punished, but he couldn't understand why in the world God would punish the wickedness of his own people by using a nation that was even more wicked. That just didn't seem to make sense. To help you understand why Habakkuk was so upset, let me make the situation a little more current. Suppose you were to go to God in, God in prayer and you say, Lord, this country is declining morally every year. Crime and violence are increasing. People have no sexual morals anymore. There's no integrity, no honesty. There's no justice in the courtroom. Lord, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you do something to make people realize that they can't just brush things off and get away with wickedness? The truth is, some of you may have actually prayed that prayer. And that was exactly the response of Habakkuk. The nation of Babylonia had a reputation. They were cruel. They were wicked. It's true the Jews weren't worshiping God the way they should have been, but the Babylonians didn't even believe in God. They worshiped their heathen idols. So Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? 
If God cannot tolerate wrongdoing, which is true, how then could he use the Babylonians to punish Judah? Babylon's sins were far worse than the sins of Judah. How does that even make sense? It's not fair. It's not right. So what do you do when you're in the middle of chapter 1 and you find yourself confused? You want to believe in God. You want to trust God. But you've got so many questions. We begin by reminding ourselves of who God is. We recognize that God is God and we aren't. We recognize that God can see the bigger picture and we can't. We recognize that God has all wisdom and knowledge and we don't. We are tempted in our human frailty to want a God who will do everything that we think he ought to do and to do it the way we want him to do it when we want him to do it. But I would suggest to you this morning that we need a God who is bigger than our puny ideas. So let me ask you this question. How big is your God? Because you need to figure out the answer to that question before hard times come or come again. And they will come and come again. There will be times when you will pray to God and you won't like the answer you receive. We all know that we should pray, thy will be done. And most of us do that. But it still surprises us when we discover that God has a completely different plan in mind than we do. So there will come a time in your life when you will have a dream. You will plan out your future. You pray to the Lord. And when the answer comes, it's not what you wanted. And when that time comes, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with that. That's the situation that Habakkuk finds himself in. He doesn't like the answer he received from God. So what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? How do you respond when the Lord's answer isn't what you wanted it to be? Again, you need to remind yourself of who God is. And Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. What do you do when God makes no sense? Either you walk away from your faith or you remind yourself of who God is. We need to go back to what we know to be true about God. Because if you forget God's sovereignty, you will always question his wisdom. If you forget God's love, you will always question his faithfulness. If you forget God's majesty, you will always question his power. If you forget God's holiness, you will always question his fairness. If you forget God's protection, you will always question his goodness. The question for us is not, do I believe in God? The more important question is, what sort of God do I believe in? And that's an important question we all need to answer. Because if I'm being honest, I have to say, I really don't know why bad things sometimes happen to good people. And there are times that things happen in this world. There are things that happen in my life that make absolutely no sense. But here's what I do know. My God is good. He is holy. He is just. He is loving. My God is always with me. And I am convinced that all things work together for my good 
and God's glory. But along the way, we still have our questions. We have to admire Habakkuk for being as honest as he was. He was a man with doubts, but he didn't hesitate to share his doubts with God. So Habakkuk says to God, in essence, you've got some explaining to do, and I'm going to sit right here and wait until you give me an explanation that I'm satisfied with. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk didn't know how the Lord would answer or how long he would have to wait. He just knew that he had shared everything that was on his heart, and now it was time to wait on the Lord. And that is where I leave chapter 1 from the book of Habakkuk. I want to strongly encourage you to read and get into chapter 2 and see what answer Habakkuk got, and then chapter 3. But right now, for some of you, your life is stuck on chapter 1. You're confused because it just seems like God doesn't care. I've got some bad news for you. Chapter 2 isn't going to be much better. But in chapter 3, you will finally get some answers. Habakkuk struggled with unanswered prayers, with things in life that caused him to doubt, and he began to question, does God really care? God answered Habakkuk's question with an overwhelming yes. He showed Habakkuk that he does hear our prayers, and he will deliver us from our trouble in times, and he will judge all the evil in this world. Maybe you've been struggling with doubts like just like Habakkuk. Maybe you've been wondering, what am I supposed to do with all my questions and doubts? I think we can learn from Habakkuk. Far too often when we're struggling with doubts in life, we have a tendency to walk away from God. But Habakkuk did just the opposite. He came to God with all his questions and doubts, and God answered him. It may not have been the answer he was looking for. In fact, God's answer actually prompted a whole new set of questions for Habakkuk. But the important thing is that Habakkuk kept coming back to God. And I think that's the key when you have questions. Bring your doubts and your questions to God, and God will listen because he truly does care. We need to remember that sometimes God answers your prayers in exactly the opposite way from what you thought he would. In that moment, we have a choice to make. Either we obey him and worship him, or say, that's not my kind of God. Sometimes we make God and his words into a God of our own making after our own desires. There are two reminders that I want you to take away from our text today. Number one, that life is filled with anguish and pain. This lifelong struggle involves troubles and emergencies. This lifelong struggle involves the triumphing of evil. This lifelong struggle involves God's tepid engagement. During this struggle, don't accuse God. During this struggle, don't act independently of God. During this struggle, don't abandon your faith. And number two, God is faithful to answer our prayers. Remember, God is always on the move. Remember, God's ways can be mysterious. Remember, God's plans can be misunderstood. Remember, God's ways are always moral. We need to be in prayer more, and we need to change our perspective. 
Before I close in prayer, I want to take a moment to say a few additional words. A lot of today's message I wrote for myself because there were a lot of personal touches in it. But I want to say a few more things from my heart to you. Originally, this was not the message I was planning to speak. I was hoping to speak on trust and forgiveness, but when I tried to write, I realized I was not ready to open up about those things yet. The past six months have been what my mentor and I call a hurricane, and I am still in the eye of a storm that doesn't care if it takes me down with it. Because sin is wildly unpredictable, I didn't see this coming because this isn't what the kingdom looks like. It is not orderly, and I can't possibly know where this is going. And I have to remember that it's okay to not know and to go slow. It's a hurricane, a weapon of mass destruction, and he came for my marriage. I know since hearing about my marriage breakup in the fall, all communication has come from leadership and Rob, which at those moments was necessary and right. However, I do feel I need and want to share the following. Going through a marriage breakup is extremely painful, but going through it while in a leadership role in a church has opened me up to additional hurt, judgment, and made me extra vulnerable, especially because my trust has been shattered. Even though I have felt deep shame, hurt, and embarrassment that I'm continuing to work through, I never felt this for many of you. However, without getting into detail, I need you all to know that I tried so very hard. I was willing. I was not leaving in every part of my heart, body, and soul was open to walking on the muddy and painful road towards reconciliation. So now I need to guard my heart and mind against bitterness, but also protect myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, because I am dealing with various levels of trauma from this. In all things, I must seek the Lord and find my wholeness and healing in Him. I long to be the child of God that he has ordained over my life. It's going to take time and likely come with more pain and heartache, but I long for peace and the ability to fully feel and experience joy again. Because Satan is trying so hard to take me down, and I am getting tired, but my strength is in God. Having strength doesn't mean I am not tired, it doesn't mean I'm not in pain. It doesn't mean I'm not exhausted. It just means I have the strength to keep going, and it's about getting hit over and over, but getting up after it. I want to be who I am called to be here at KZMC, because even though my start into ministry has been really rough and lonely, I do believe that this church family is here for me. I want to thank you all so very much for all your love, prayers, messages, hugs, words, and genuine care, not only over the past six months, 
but over the past year and a half. I know I have made mistakes along the way, and for that, I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for walking beside me, for asking the tough questions, for taking a chance on me, and for simply being there with a loving smile. I was taught a lot long ago that is not your experience, knowledge, or skills. Your heart is your most important leadership tool. I believe I have a big heart, and even though parts of it are bruised, it will heal. And so much of it is here with you and for all God's people. So we are going to pray, and after that I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed and just listen to the words of a song that will be played before we close our service today. It's called God is in this story. And we all have a story to tell and that God really is present with us in all the seasons of our lives. God is not giving up on us and he knows the details even when we don't. Let us pray. Father, we confess there are days when it feels like you have forgotten us and maybe even abandoned us because our battles have raged on for so long. We confess there are times we get tired of hoping, weary from waiting, and we wonder just how much longer it will go on. Thank you for reminding us there is purpose to this process and that we are not walking through any of this alone. You are our strength. You are our hope. You are our song. Help us to fix our eyes once again on your promises and remind us to keep our hope tied to you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>